Welcome to the Business of You podcast. I'm your host, Rachel Gogos. This podcast is dedicated to helping you uncover how to turn your big idea into big business and grow your personal brand into the business of your dreams. Each week, I'll talk to founders of all kinds of businesses, exploring how they launched and grew their companies. Behind every successful business is an epic journey, one that can serve as a roadmap to help you grow yours. The Business of You is all about frank conversations and unique business wisdom for the entrepreneur. It's a chance to tune into the story behind the brand and retrace the path of those who walked this road before you so you can pave your own road to success. Welcome to The Business of You. Today's guest on The Business of You is Leah Schuster Beer. Leah is the founder and CEO of a company called Alula, which is the first digital platform to help cancer patients and caregivers navigate the symptoms of cancer treatment and everyday clinical care outside of the hospital. Leah knows firsthand what it takes to overcome cancer. She is a two-time cancer survivor. On the eve of her 30th birthday, she was diagnosed with a rare form of non-Hodgkin's lymphoma, and she was admitted to the hospital soon after. She actually conceived of her recent business venture, Alula, while in the hospital fighting her cancer diagnosis. If you are in need of inspiration or just a jolt of courage, I highly recommend you tune in today. Talk about taking lemons and turning them into lemonade. Leah Schuster Beer is a true inspiration and a courageous cancer warrior. Enjoy today's episode. Good morning, Leah. It's so nice to have you on the Business of You podcast. How's your day going so far? Hi, Rachel. I'm so excited to be here. I'm good. You know, a lot. I feel very connected to my tea this morning. It's chilly in Brooklyn, like a chilly April rainy day, but I'm so excited to chat and thank you for having me. No, you're welcome. Excited to dive into your story, which is so fascinating. You've done so much in such a short time. Uh, Would love to hear how you started your company that you're the CEO of called Alula. Can you share a little bit of your or a lot a bit of your of your journey to starting Alula and share a little bit about what it is to, you know, right now. I know it's quickly evolving. Yes, absolutely. Um, well, as you mentioned, I'm the founder and CEO of Alula. We are a uh, telehealth platform for cancer patients who are navigating the symptom burden associated with their treatment. Uh, Symptom burden is a fancy medical term that just describes the dozens of side effects that come with cancer treatment. So everything from alopecia, the overnight hair loss that can occur with chemotherapy to um, the nausea, the constipation, the sexual dysfunction, the incontinence. Um, What we know is that there is um, truly dozens of, of side effects that come with what it takes to cure you of cancer. Um, however, what we have found is that the healthcare system is really set up for oncologists to treat tumors, which is incredible. I wouldn't be here if they weren't set up to do that. Um, but what I've learned as a two-time cancer patient and a survivor celebrating three years in remission, which for all the cancer survivors out there know that's not enough time. It feels both like 30 years and also very, very fragile is that the treatment that, you know, hopefully saves your life. Um, also creates a whole host of, you know, long-term medical needs. So for instance, I'm in the middle of being treated for pericarditis, which is the swelling of my heart that happened after one of my chemos. I'm in the treat, I'm in treatment for medically induced menopause at the age of 34. Um, my bone marrow transplant shut down my ovaries. And so this is a long-term chronic condition for me now. I'm in treatment for radiation fibrosis, which is the decaying of muscle in my chest and my back where I received radiation um, and, and on and on. And when I was in active treatment, I could not keep up with the fast evolving nature of how I would quote unquote feel every day. I found that constipation that came from the chemotherapy was like, unlike any constipation I've ever had in my life, as was the nausea, as was what was going on with my taste buds. And so what we built at Alula is the 
leading marketplace that organizes the OTC products that you can have at home to help to help mitigate and find relief. And what we're in the process of standing up is a telehealth platform that wraps this all with a clinical care team that can navigate you uh, through the everyday's realities of care. Um, I came up with this from the hospital bed. I was diagnosed with the rare form of non-Hodgkin's lymphoma in January, 2018. This was bizarrely just a few months after my mom landed remission. She was battling breast cancer in 2016 and 2017. And I think it was that back-to-backness of our diagnoses that um, helped me start to see some patterns around the gaps in our both of our cancer care. But I wasn't really working on Alula until my cancer came back. Unfortunately, after undergoing aggressive uh, combined chemo and immunotherapy, my cancer returned in four months. So in late 2018, I started what's called second line therapy. Um, you very quickly learn with, you never want to kind of go down those lines of therapy and cancer treatment, because as you do that, it gets extremely, incredibly experimental and your, your, your chances of survival go down. Um, and it was that reoccurrence that I think helped me see, gosh, the first time I had cancer and what gave me so many hacks. I knew what to do for this litany of side effects. And so the second time I was not catching up from day one, I felt prepared. And what I'm building with the Lula is really productizing that for cancer patients so that on day one, once you have a treatment plan, you can work with our team and you can feel prepared. We know um, the science, there is evidence in what that sense of coherence means for navigability for patients. We know that it also... Um, Mitigating symptom burden is a, is a leading reason that we can uh, boost patients sticking with uh, life-saving treatment. And so, I don't know, this really feels like a gift to get to dedicate my brain to day in and day out. I have an incredible team based in Brooklyn, New York, and we are, are growing quickly. Um, and our, our big goal is to really make life with cancer livable. Um, we named the business Alula because uh, the Alula is the mechanical part of a bird's wing that aids in turbulent flight. It is what enables a bird to navigate, to maneuver, to get through um, a turbulent gust of air. And when I heard that definition, I thought that's exactly what getting through cancer treatment feels like. I felt like there were a lot of brands out there that were really pushing this narrative around beating cancer and surviving cancer. And, um, I felt so much pressure as a patient in, in my fight, right. In my battle, in my, um, all of these metaphors of war with cancer, um, where as I felt like it had become such a new part of who I was, um, and so I wanted to ensure that we really, our product was really focusing on that navigability um, without really a point of view on uh, whether or not you, you survive because, um, you know, sadly the statistics are such that 50% of patients um, unfortunately will pass. And so how do we support patients regardless of the outcome while very much focused on boosting the chances that you don't quit life-saving treatment because you just feel like you can't continue. Right, right. Well, you mentioned that three years isn't quite um, a remission marker for the majority of cancer patients, but in your case, it's a massive, massive win given there was just a four-month period between your first and second cancer treatment. So that's amazing. Congrats and uh, continued continued healing for you. Well, clearly you have, you know, firsthand experience around the substance of the company that you started, but can you share a little bit about your background to, you know, your business background, which I know you have an MBA, um, but what were you doing before 2018, before this diagnosis that, you know, also gave you kind of like the chops to start a whole new business, especially right on the heels of, of being so ill? For sure. So I started my career on Wall Street. I was um, a strategist on um, the foreign currency derivative desk at Goldman Sachs. Um, 
it was my first job out of undergrad and I was paid to read the geopolitical news and translate what that meant for multinational companies such as Apple and Google and Walmart um, in terms of what that meant for their balance sheets and income statements. And um, that gave me a lot of financial structuring experience. Um, and I was sort of constantly in the center of global M&A deals. And I really loved um, understanding how to translate what's happening in the real world to the company. And I think that thread is true across my career. Um, after three years of that, I was sort of itching to do something that had more of a societal benefit. And Goldman Sachs had just executed the first social impact bond with Mayor Bloomberg, uh, which is a fancy word for basically a, a financing activity that allowed Rikers Island to experiment with a new way to uh, reduce recidivism in their jails. And I just thought that was the coolest thing I've ever heard. And I thought, okay, I need to go beg them to go hire me and I want to work on that. And that's what I did for the next several years. I was one of the first people in the country working with governors and mayors to implement a new financing strategy that helped um, align uh, growth capital for cutting edge innovative nonprofits to take their uh, community development organ um, interventions and, and build them at scale. So uh, we did a lot of work in early childhood education in financing the expansion of early pre-K, which has a lot of statistical evidence and how it boosts, um, it closes the, the word gap um, for children. We did a lot of investing in reducing um, supporting on domiciled populations to secure more permanent housing. We did a lot of work around um, supporting um, supporting interactive talk for, for young children. And I think that was really the kernel of kind of really honing my chops for this business because we are similarly at the intersection of cancer patient communities, enormous cancer centers that have a lot of red tape and then a lot of other players um, for, you know, the entire pharma industry, which is responsible for a lot of the scientific advancement of um, getting a lot of cancer drugs to market. And so I think uh, the combination of uh, learning how to finance um, expansion programs for projects that are proven to work and improve uh, for populations that need it most with the finance, the finance chops from Wall Street has sort of given me the like, I guess, like baseline ingredients, although I will tell you, and, you know, then um, I went and got my MBA in 2016 and I was in the middle of my MBA at Wharton while my mom was undergoing cancer treatment. And I think that was not an accident, you know, um, I didn't know it at the time, but I was going into my classes and I had, a, I had a, um, I graduated with a focus on entrepreneurial management. Um, I just didn't, I wasn't at business school to go and build a digital health company focus on helping cancer patients navigate treatment. I was in business school to hopefully build an impact investing fund one day. That was my dream. And, um, after, after school, I went and, um, was working on an impact investment fund focused on revitalizing Birmingham, Alabama, where I got to invest in, in really neat projects. But, um, you know, I think when something like a cancer diagnosis hits your life, you, there's a lot of time you spent asking why me, why did I get sick? Why did I get sick at 29? Why um, am I facing this massive interrupter in my grand plan? And you very quickly realize like that is <laughs> the grand plan. Um, the grand plan is meant to be disrupted. And it's been really neat uh, in this seat to just think about how all of the layers of um, experience have kind of congealed into this foundational skill set. But I will also tell you absolutely zero prepares you for being a founder, as you know, and absolutely zero prepares you for managing a team in the middle of a once in a century pandemic. And so in many ways, <laughs> when you ask that question, I don't know, I am still, um, what have been, I've been focusing on like, what have been my teachers the last two years? And I have 
you know, every single day with my morning coffee, I spend a lot of time reading. And fortunately, I think the last few years have really accelerated so many studies around how we work, how we manage, how you support people through crisis. Um, a lot of which I learned firsthand experience when I was in treatment, just the two years before the pandemic. But um, I think there are so many things that kind of can't prepare you for the times that we're living in now. And um, I have really been focused on sourcing renewed inspiration and guidance um, through navigating what's just a, we are in the middle of a historical rework of work, of creating, of leading, of building. And uh, that's happening really at a micro level within each of us. And that's happening at a macro level, at you know, organizationally. And I think we're just at the beginning of that. So in some ways, I feel like all my training, not that it's for not, but it, none of it has prepared me for, for what's been the reality of the last several years. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's definitely true for, for so many of us um, running companies. But I also think, about the fact that you can really understand financial spreadsheets, like probably many founders can't. And you worked for some years helping organizations scale, which has got to be coming in very useful in what you're doing today as well. So um, I kept thinking as you were speaking of Tony Robbins quote of life doesn't happen to you, it happens for you. And um what you're building sounds like, you know, you're filling a hole in a, in a marketplace that is quickly growing too, right? I mean, we hear about more and more cancer patients and younger people having cancer than ever before. I'm just always um, amazed at how much more we're hearing about it. So, so it's great that you're, you know, we're able to take something so negative in your life and like really you mentioned your mindset of, you know, why is this happening to me and to spin it into something so positive. So like, can you share what did you, you know, you in the hospital, you're going through this horrendous treatment. Did you write a business plan? And, and then what was the next thing? If you can just share some of the milestones to where you are today, which, you know, also fast forward a second, you've also raised $3 million, which is incredible. And, and again, in such a short time and just two years in the economy fluctuation that we've had, right? So if you, if you can share just some of your steps to get you to where you are today. Yeah, for sure. Um, so when I was initially diagnosed in January, 2018, like virtually every patient I've ever met, you're in crisis management mode. And I was really focused on ensuring that I was going to be diagnosed properly, that I could set up care at the best place in the world. I was diagnosed with a really rare cancer. Only 3000 women a year had my type of non-Hodgkin's lymphoma, which was really terrifying to also try to, there were three physicians across the country who could treat what I had, which put a lot of pressure. And one was near you in New York. It was one near you. Memorial Sloan Kettering was near me and I was lucky that one of the three uh, physicians in the country who was really expert at the subtype of my cancer was there. And so at least I made it a very simple, you know, I just was hoping that he had room to see me. Um, and then what was also very important to me was to undergo fertility preservation. But before I was diagnosed at the age of 29, right on the cusp of my 30th birthday. And um, my husband and I had just celebrated uh, being married for three years and starting a family was, is important to us. And, um, so that was sort of like that first month of it all. Uh, what is wild is when you get diagnosed, it all just starts to move so fast, especially if you have an aggressive cancer. And so within three weeks, <laughs> I, I did all the scans and testing and biopsies and I froze my eggs, um, which felt like a massive accomplishment. And I cut my hair off, you know, I mean, and by the way, this is not unique to me. This is a very typical front end journey. Um, again, never in my wildest dreams that I think I would go quit my job and, and start this business. I was sort of just really focused on being a soldier. I don't know how else to say it. Like I was, I just was focused on following the instructions. And so I had six cycles of treatment. Each cycle is three weeks long. Um, the first cycle, you know, was tough in that I lost my hair almost by week two, 
Um, and that was the beginning of this personal R and D next thing, you know, I was having like the worst constipation of my life. I was nauseous beyond nauseous. I found myself, my taste buds were going haywire. Um, I just really felt my fatigue was really hard to pre predict and, and deal with. And I just felt myself really at a loss of how to manage all of the side effects that were kind of coming at once and coming at an intensity that didn't, the, the like label didn't, I was like, this isn't constipation. This is something totally different. And I felt that way with everything I felt. And so that was like the first super powerful insight for Alula is how do we translate you know, the name to what it's really going to feel like for you. And that's what we're building with our clinical team. Um, and that's also what we hope to accomplish with the marketplace product that we have and the content that we have on the, throughout the experience. Um, the second uh, piece was my friends and family were finding out, you know, holy shit. Oops, sorry. Like our friend has cancer. How do we show up for her? And they started sending me pink socks and pink blankets. And I didn't even have breast cancer and I hate the color pink. And I was like, I love you, but this is not helping me through everything that's happening to my body. And that was a really, that was a second powerful insight. And I started to crave, you know, a wedding registry for cancer. And that was kind of how Alula started. I initially was building the Zola for cancer. And I was really like, okay, how do we support patients and their families on day one in under making it lovely to actually purchase a pick line shower cover for a patient or a post mastectomy bra for a patient. And what I learned in dozens of interviews was that that's exactly what friends and family wanted to do. They just wanted to do whatever it took to help the patient. And the problem was that the patient just didn't know what they needed. Um, but it wasn't until my cancer came back that I had to send, you know, a very dreaded note to everyone. Like my cancer is back. And in that note, that was my initial prototype of the business. I sent out an email to, gosh, nearly 150 people who had been following my journey, coworkers, friends, neighbors, you know, family, friends, and sort of delineated a list. And I just sent it off truly the night before I went into my first inpatient chemo treatment. And the response was wild. People were sending me buckets of Cardinal Health hot packs that I was using uh, post my new last injections. New Lasta is a stimulant that patients may need in between chemotherapies to boost their white blood cells. And I would just like sleep under this like blanket of hot packs and they were expensive. And I, I had a box of truly hundreds of them because of this email. And I thought that's when I said, wow, what if we had something that helped that process from day one? And so I spent the rest of my treatment interviewing oncology nurses from the bedside, talking to patients when I was admitted, talking to patients in the waiting room. I sort of thought, gosh, I'm living at Memorial Sloan Kettering. I have a unique opportunity to really do amazing R&D for this business. And I didn't know if I was going to make it. That was the scariest part. So I just got, it kind of just kept my brain focused on something else instead of my fear of dying. And when I you know, made it through my very high risk stem cell transplant and made it through the hundred day period. After that, I begged my husband, if we could bootstrap initial prototypes. And we started working with a design firm in Brooklyn that had helped build Zola and Oscar health and city block health. And we bootstrapped the initial couple of months of, uh, that prototype development. And I just had so much fun working on that. I quit my job a few months later and I went out to fundraise a few months later. And of course the pandemics happened, but I got my first check the Friday before the market collapsed 25%. And I remember asking, calling that investor that Monday and being like, do you want your money back? Like <laughs> where the world is ending. And he said, no, but you better go. You got, you got to move girl. And so I did move and we ended up raising an oversubscribed pre-seed round and um, we were off to the races in some ways, although you were suddenly, you know, building a company at the beginning. We didn't know at that in March and April of 2020 what this was going to unfold like. And my husband's a critical care doctor. So he was on the front lines at Mount Sinai for a lot of that. And I had to move out because I had this brand new immune system. 
So that was insane. But that was how this that was how this started. Did you have any employees when you started to fundraise or not yet? No, no. I did not. Okay. I did not. I was, I did bring on my Wharton roommate as a consultant early days. And um she was, you know, unbelievably helpful to me. Um, but I didn't have any employees at the time. I just had my prototypes and I put together a pitch book and I just started meeting with um with the number of investors. One of my first one of the first investors I met with was Chelsea Clinton. And they tell you when you're when you're fundraising to like save the best for last. So you kind of practice and 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 learn how you want to pitch the business. And <laughs> that it really happened for me. I I sort of ended up meeting these unbelievable investors one by one. And I was so lucky, like this was February 2020. We were also doing in-person meetings and I was running around New York City trying to go from a Soho pitch to a Midtown pitch to a Upper East Side pitch. And, um, you know, now I'm now I'm meeting investors from my laptop like everyone else. But um, it was a really special it was a really special moment for the business. And I look back on it just kind of in disbelief. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So you when you say you were oversubscribed at that point, is that when you raised that initial three million? Yes, I raised, um, well, with that round, we raised two, a little over 2 million and I was targeting one and a half million. Okay. And, and I and, it took as much as I could get because I thought the world was ending and it was, <laughs> it was in some ways. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, well, yeah, we didn't, certainly didn't know what things were going to look like and when. So you, you get this $2 million and then do you, did you get an office? Did you, what was your next step? Did you then hire people to start helping you kind of run this now well-funded business? Right. Well then, you know, everyone's kind of in April of 2020, everyone is just sort of staying put. It was kind of a wild time to reach out to people like, Hey, I just raised, you know, $2 million. I'm hiring for this brand new startup. Everyone in Brooklyn, was, no less. Yeah, yeah. And in New York City, and nobody—I yeah. uh, mean, nobody was living in New York that, at the time. And I was in the—I I, was—I finished the round from my in-laws' guest house, you know, in rural Massachusetts. Um, I wasn't even in the city, so it was a really bizarre time. Um, I vividly remember when Airbnb uh, fired an enormous part of their workforce, and I was just like. It's kind of like when you're you're surfing in the middle of the ocean and you kind of see someone who's like 10x better than you or like 100x better than you just like totally wipe out on a wave and you're just like how am I supposed to surf this wave and that's that was how I felt that entire spring because it you know um Airbnb is sort of very notably in my memory but there were a ton of companies that were downsizing of course and it both I and a lot of people you know were kind of taking some time to take a beat and understand what was going on in the world. Um, if you, if you were lucky too, if you had the means to do that. And so, um, uh, I would say the hiring really kind of started to pick up late in June and my first hire started in September in late August. And then we really started to hire that fall. Um, so it was kind of a, it was, it was a wild kind of, um, uncertain kickoff to growing the team. And, um, there were definitely moments where I wasn't really sure what I was supposed to be doing because, um, number one, I was terrified for my health. Um, I had barely a year old immune system. And what people don't know about bone marrow transplants is that they effectively like delete your operating system of whatever was making cancer in your bone marrow. And then they upload a new operating system that doesn't make cancer. That's kind of the like layman's way of describing the science. And so I had for all intents and purposes, a one-year-old immune system and it deleted all of my vaccines I've ever had in my whole life. So I was I was in the middle of the pandemic with a husband who was on the front line. So I could barely see because I didn't have any vaccines. I didn't have vaccines to have a happy importantly. I didn't have vaccines to, I didn't have any pneumonia vaccines. And one of our dear friends, uh, Dr. Ritesh Kotecha, who's a physician at MSK texted me. I was like, Lee, you are missing a critical vaccine. 
that a lot of patients are in the ICU have developing these pneumonias. He's like, you just won't make it. And so I think one of the hardest parts that only with some space and I'm, I'm still processing everything that happened, like the whole globe is, um, but I think what was so tough about that first year of starting was holding, you know, being a brand new cancer survivor and the fear that you might recur and that the stem cell transplant didn't work. And you also still feel really, you're, you're not yourself. Like I still didn't have hair. I was still, I was still managing a lot of fatigue. I was still rebuilding my energy. So all of that, which is very normal. And it's just a very real part of early survivorship with feeling like knowing that I was that portion of the population that whenever the CDC, that the, the CDC and the entire country was staying at home to keep folks like us from dying, knowing that I was like that patient population was, was a lot to hold. And then doing that while you just had all of these incredible investors take a chance on you and take a chance on your, your vision and not necessarily feeling like could I execute on this? Because I am fighting for my life on an everyday basis. That was so hard. And, uh, there's, you know, and, and with every surge that we've had, I do get back into that space of, you know, can't go to investor dinners. You can't pitch in person. You can't go to conferences. You can't go meet, you can't implement trainings at a, at a partnership. Um, and a lot of that's just because you're trying not to die. <laughs> I don't know how else to say it. Um, so, you know, fortunately I have, I've been able to, to, to get as, as boosted as possible. I just had my fourth shot six weeks ago and I feel really lucky that I've been able to navigate it so far, but the, the psychological strain of all of that, um, I've, I just vividly remember feeling paralyzed. Like we were all so paralyzed. I, I think in April of 2020 and May, we were all kind of logging into work and just, I don't even know what we did, you know, just like you were going through the motions, but we were all just like numb. And um, to create in that state, I think is so, it's kind of impossible. Um, you were sort of just trying to do the bare minimum to keep yourself distracted and keep yourself in this feeling of moving forward. But, you know, we all know, especially with some space, like no one felt like you're moving forward. You just sort of felt deeply terrified, deeply scared, deeply anxious, deeply concerned. And then on top of that, so many people were also facing completely unexpected financial strain. Um, and yeah, I definitely was like, I can't believe I just quit my job. And now <laughs> I'm, you know, I have this, I actually didn't even pay myself for a while. Like another investor was like, no, 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 like you can start paying yourself. I was like, yeah, but I don't know. It was all just so weird. It was mm -hmm. all just so weird. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. The, uh, so you raised that money. It sounded like it around April, right? April, 2020. And your first hire was September around September, August, yeah, August. Okay. And so I, I am just trying to relate. I'm imagining you kind of sitting alone, right? You probably spent a lot of time alone in that guest house, almost in yeah. isolation. Yeah. And were you just trying to plug away at, at creating this website and sourcing these products to put on the site and, and yeah. then just figuring out how to what hire a website team? I mean, what, what were those some of your actions at that in that three month window or so? Yeah. So we worked with that design firm for a few more months. I hired them through June to give myself some time because I realized very quickly that um, the hiring environment was unusual. I didn't know just how unusual. I just was, kind of, you know, I wanted to make sure that we were continuing to move forward on our product roadmap. Um, so I was managing a team of freelanced um, product designers and PMs and engineers. And then meanwhile, I was living on LinkedIn and in the middle of a lot of different interviews. And I think at that time, it was really hard to convince people to take a risk on something really brand new and really uncertain. And I was also, you know, hiring a founding team for the first time in my life. And 
uh, a lot of, um, I, I, I felt like I had some, I had to be very methodical of the composition of the team. And so I was also just, I mean, I, I would basically, my work would comprise of, you know, overseeing the product roadmap that, um, and the development of, um, our alpha site. And then, um, really constantly in everyday interviews, trying to, um, trying to sort of navigate this, the downsizing of companies in a very opportunistic way, uh, while also working to, to design what that, what that felt like. Um, I think in retrospect, I definitely moved like way slower than I wanted to in the moment. I like kind of knew that, but I also kind of knew, like, I don't know how, how else to operate right now. And I think with space, like, I don't know. They're, they're probably, I, I, I wasn't fully aware of just at the intersection of how much trauma I was in, you know, I was really, really concerned for my husband's life. And that was, you know, the season where they didn't have a 95s and, uh, I was concerned for his emotional health. I was concerned for his physical health. Um, fortunately in, in May, we decided for me to return back to New York city. Like we were just missing each other so much and it was impacting both of our work so much. And but that probably wasn't even that safe. We just, I don't know. It was a wild time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What were you doing mentally just to keep yourself calm at that time? Oh my gosh. I did a lot of walking and I did a lot of walking meetings. Um, and I think that's what a lot of people did because I just vividly remember around that late spring, people were like, I never want to go on a walk ever again. <laughs> um, my father-in-law would tease me like, oh, there she goes on a walking meeting. I just felt like I had so, I had to move out all of this anxiety out of my body and I couldn't sit still. Um, and also it was, you know, it was a really beautiful spring that spring, I remember. Um, but yeah, I did a lot of walking. I wish I did more journaling. Um, I, I hadn't. Um, I also was really intent with my therapy, um, which really kept me anchored, I think. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I spent a lot of time in nature. I kind of went back to the tools that I use when I was battling when I was undergoing cancer treatment, um, I, which for me was spending a lot of time in nature. So I started to go on beach walks and more hikes. Um, I find, uh, forest bathing really, really cleansing for me. It puts me into a parasympathetic nervous system state and I can really, really calm down. So I tried to spend a lot of time in the forest and I try to spend a lot of time at the water. Unfortunately, my in-laws live in this really gorgeous, um, South coast town in Massachusetts. And that was one of the silver linings, I guess. Um, but yeah, I don't know. Mm -hmm. Just a lot of walking. Mm -hmm. It's funny you say that about the walking. My husband was doing a lot of walking meetings then too. And about six months in, he calculated that he would have walked from Pittsburgh to California with all the miles. (laughs) So funny. But yeah, um, that that was awesome. You had that guest house. So let's fast forward to today. Where how many employees do you have, and you know what's next on the horizon for Alula? Yeah, so we are a mighty team of seven, based in Brooklyn, New York. We are in the process of growing um, a clinical team to join our efforts. Um, and what's next for Alula? So we are partnering with cancer centers across the country to, um, help get our product to the over, you know, 2 million patients a year that are getting diagnosed with cancer. And we know that number is, uh, unfortunately growing at, um, a really depressing rate. The number of cancer patients that are annually getting diagnosed is, is expected to double over the next 50 years. Um, and as I'm sure you've read, uh, the last couple of years have been disastrous in terms of catching, um, cancers early. And so what that means 
that means that patients will undergo more aggressive treatment. And that means that your symptom burden will unfortunately go up. And so we are uh, readying our company to support cancer patients through that reality. Um, and so um, I'm in the process of raising more capital to support our growth and expand our team. We're in the process of developing a telehealth app uh, that will expand our product. And then we're in the process of meeting with oncologists and providers across the country, uh, both for uh, continuous feedback on our offering, as well as to uh, accelerate getting this into millions of, of hands. Mm-hmm. That's amazing. And you hired one of your nurses too, right? You shared. I did. I had uh, my stem cell transplant nurse who um, left Memorial Sloan Kettering to go get her MBA at Harvard Business School, joined us last year. She's been incredible. And she helped us um, she helped us with this insight of the power of an oncology nurse walking patients through, which is what act, which is what informally is happening today. And we're really just using technology to um, democratize access to some of that coaching that oncology nurses, some of that nursing care that's being provided at the bedside um, to provide that actively at home as well. Um, so yes, it's pretty, it's a really special story. She reached out to me when we announced our pre-seed uh, raise in January, 2021. And she said to me, I don't know if you remember me, but I was your stem cell transplant nurse. And I don't know if you're taking interns, but I'd love to come work with you. And I just said, are you kidding me? Of course I remember you. And of course you're coming. And, um, she's been such an incredible partner and friend. And, um, it feels very beshared that we've had the chance to evolve this product together. Um, so yes, it's um, we're really excited for what's ahead. We feel like we're uh, building a new type of clinical care that currently isn't um, provided as robustly as it should be, and patients are suffering as a result. And we hope that our product can help patients have, you know, radically honest conversations that they may not feel comfortable having with their doctor about how they really feel, um, what's happening, what's the impact of the treatment on their sexual function on their bladder control, on their eyesight, on their body image. And we know that these are, this is causing clinical depression. This is causing clinical isolation. This is causing clinical loneliness. Um, and this is really importantly causing patients to just give up and quit life-saving treatment. And so uh, the vision has really grown and we've spent a lot of time, especially the last six months in the literature, um, understanding the link between our product and what it can mean for increasing survivorship. And so um, it's been really special. And, you know, I, I shared that I'm, I just uh, had a, uh, a great six month surveillance appointment and I'm, uh, my blood work looks better than ever. Um, my husband said it looks better than his, which I was very proud of. Um, and so the R and D continues, you know, um, I, I still feel that life is fragile. Um, and I just feel fortunate to lend my brain to something that can, can make someone else feel just a little bit better. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. You're doing something so amazing. So good. What will be the, the interactivity of this new app sounds pretty incredible. Will that be between um, doctor and patient through the app? Like, will that, it sounds like the access to somebody who has a clear answer on mm -hmm. symptoms somebody's experiencing will be almost instantaneous. Is that right? Yes. Okay. Yes. I'm looking to productize my husband, who's uh, a critical care cardiologist and our dear friend, who's an oncologist. And um, the both of them, we were kind of always on text, problem solving real time, how bad I was feeling about, you know, XYZ side effect. And so our goal with um, the next evolution of our product is to, uh, you know, democratize access to that for all patients at their fingertips. 24 seven, uh, because the reality is your, uh, that is especially overnight, especially after hours, after your doctor's office is closed. So typically between four to 5 PM for most clinicians across the country, 
that's when your caregiver is coming home from work. That's when you spent all day feeling so crummy. And you're kind of like, do I need to go to the, do I need to go to the emergency room? Is it that bad? Is this, and we are trying to build a product that can help patients understand, is this a two Advil and take a nap situation? Or is this a, no, no, you need to go call your doctor and you need to go get you know, a bolus of fluids or, um, you are at risk of septic shock and we need to call 911. And, um, in, in talking to countless physicians and patients about those moments and anybody who's either cared for a cancer patient or under, or been that patient themselves, like that is the most terrifying moment. Um, and unfortunately with, with cancer treatment that can become quite acute and severe really fast. And so, um, having access to that outpatient support is super critical. And I think what the reason we have a really interesting moment to, to go in this direction is because of the, the last two years of the pandemic, right? During the last two years, cancer patients, just like me have been negotiating with their physicians, like do I have to go in today? Can we do a telehealth appointment? And um, there's also, especially the first six months of the pandemic, there was a lot of treatment that was really paused, both because hospitals had to pause treatment and also because um, when the clinical teams were weighing the risks of dying from COVID versus the risks of dying from your tumor, they had to make ungodly, bad, you know, horrible decisions. And so uh, there's still a little bit about that, especially because the surges continue. Um, and so what we have found is that um, cancer centers across the country um, are really focused on supporting their patients outside the hospital and helping them um, access that same level of pristine nursing care inside the four walls of the hospital room, in the four walls of their bedroom, of their living room. And so we believe our our product will be um, a way to do that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. What will be the revenue model for this? Great question. So we will uh, become a clinical provider. So we will have, uh, we will be able to um, charge for visits and re- and our goal is to have everything ultimately reimbursable by insurance uh, because only once it's reimbursable by insurance can it really be democratizing access. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. That's great. As you look back on the last, you know, two years of your life or so, what, how would you describe um, your attributes? Like, obviously, you're a very strong person. And perseverance must be very high within you as well. But how how else would you describe yourself? Um, I think I have a good dose of resilience in my blood. Um, I think a lot of that comes from my roots as a refugee. My parents and I left uh, the former Soviet Union in 1989. And um, my first, at 18 months old, I was a refugee. We were, um, we left Baku, Azerbaijan. I spent six months living across Baku, Moscow, Vienna, Rome, and ultimately landed in Brooklyn. And I think that piece of my DNA comes through um, in building this company and probably just my everyday way of being. Um, I think that I've become as a result of the treatment, deeply spiritual and deeply philosophical. And that has really both been clarifying and confusing as we're navigating the future of humanity. Um, I have felt sort of like I had a two year um, what's the word? Like the awakening that we're seeing across society right now, as people are, um, reevaluating what they want in life and reevaluating how they want their life to be designed. I underwent that in 2018, 2019. And I think, uh, having that foundation and then still having the last two years disrupt some of those insights, I think for many of us um, has awakened um, a new spiritual connection to yourself and what matters and and where you source inspiration and where you source the answer. Um, And so that's been really supportive in navigating the bumpiness of early stage company building. Um, 
And then I think the last piece is just, um, I don't know, I, I, I'm deeply transparent and honest. Um, and I think that has served me well as you've, I think there's been a requirement to sort of have um, unfiltered conversations the last several years as you're navigating both um, early stage building, which is an um, intuitively complicated and has uh, just tough decisions along the way, but also as um, as you're leading a team and as you are um, you know undergoing very very quick growth, um, we have we have um, a word at Alula that we say sometimes called unfiltered umbrella, where it's just like, hey, unfiltered umbrella, so I can just say what I really want to say, and that helps us just like cut through the noise very quickly and and have a hard uh, have a difficult conversation very very honestly, and I think. Um, that's really enabled our growth and that's enabled our fun and that's enabled our interconnectivity as a team. So um, super proud of that. Yeah, that's great. How many people are on your team now? We are uh, small but mighty at seven. That's great. That's great. Well, it has been so great to have you and to hear your story. Leah, uh, what's the best place for people to connect with you, maybe invite you as a speaker and certainly learn more about Alula? Thank you so much, Rachel. I've had so much fun. Um, so you can learn more about Alula a couple of ways. Uh, you can check out our, our offering at myalula.com. You can follow us on Instagram at our Alula. Um, and if you want to um, chat with me directly, you can find me at leah at myalula.com. Um, we are... Uh, really excited about getting this product to, to millions of cancer patients and, and really focus on making life with cancer more livable. And so if that's something that you're about as well, would love to hear from you. Mm-hmm. When will the new app be available to the public? Uh, we are hoping to launch that later this year. Okay, great. Well, continued good luck and more importantly, continued good health. Thank you so much. I hope you enjoyed this episode of The Business of You. If you found a little dose of inspiration or learned something new, please leave a review and share it with a friend or even two. Interested in building your brand and business? Tune in next time to The Business of You podcast. And remember, there's only one you. You're the biggest differentiator your business has. Until next time, friends.